Good morning, America. Welcome to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollack. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. In fact, we have offices in Denver and Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We bring we bring this podcast to you to educate you on the current events. We want to give you the legal anatomy, meaning the legal breakdown of current events. And today, in the news, we're talking about United States Supreme Court justices, right? United States Supreme Court justices, finances, travel, perks, Gifts, what do you think? Ethics, are there ethic rules? We're going to find out today on legal anatomy of current events because we're going to anatomize your mind, and here we go. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. As one small step for man. Ask not what your country can do for you. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events. Launch sequence started. T minus 10. Internal power green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9. 8. 7. We have ignition. 5. 4. Commit for launch green. 3. 2. 1. We have liftoff. Legal Anatomy of Current Events. All for you. Now on the air. All right. Talking about United States Supreme Court justices and their ethics, and the laws and rules and regulations that govern them. We're going to teach you a couple of things. First, this is going to be an eye-opening show, I promise you. There are some statutes, but everybody, Brad, and everybody in America is going, well, are there, aren't there any rules that apply to these United States Supreme Court justices? I mean, we hear, we, and we're going to get it into it in the show, but we hear about uh, Justice Samuel Alito. And we hear about those, those issues. And then we hear about Clarence Thomas. And we, and we hear about travel and gifts and luxury travel. For years, aren't there any rules? I know everybody wants to hear this. They want to do that. But let's start a little bit of history. Let's start with a little bit of history. And then we're going to get to the rules. Then we're going to answer your questions. Then we're going to get down to what really, really governs these people that sit on our highest court in the land. Well, you know, it, it is a, a concern. I don't know why it has just now become a concern. Uh, we had the Ethics and Government Act in 1978, uh, EIGA in 1978, to address some of the ethics in government. Um, after When you talk about the start of our country, and then you start talking about how long we've had it, everybody operating up there in, in, in D.C., and you've had the Supreme Court operating, you start wondering why did it take until 1978 or what happened in 1978 that we had to start worrying about ethics and government. Uh, shouldn't there have been ethics and government all along? Well, yeah. You would think so. Some people would say that's a mutually exclusive term, right? Well, some, some would. And, you know, they, they, there's a question about whether, what, what, what the definition of ethics is to um, government officials versus uh, and elected officials versus what it is to judges versus what it is to our Supreme Court. Uh, and but s- people started all of a sudden wanting to uh, spell it out, and you know the problem with spelling it out is sometimes when you spell it out, you identify what exactly it is that's going to be ethical and not ethical, 
and the the gray areas just are are not considered. Um, where if you don't have it spelled out and you just say, hey, you should act ethical because you're a Supreme Court justice, or you should act, act ethical because you're a, you're a congressman um, and you're in the government or you're a, a representative of our country, uh, then it, you know those gray areas can also be considered. Uh, but remember, when we, when we go through this show, as you, we start from the beginning and we start going through it, the question is, is uh, what happens when people are no longer ethical, even if they're violating the Ethics and Government Act, even if they're violating what would seem to be a judicial uh, rule or a regulation, uh, what can you do about it? And, uh, you know, we, we have to start remembering the strength of our country is, is that we have 50 states that go out there and they uh, identify their senators and their representatives, and they select them based on what they like and don't like about them, and do we have the power to start disenfranchising states from some of their leaders that they've elected because we don't think, and when I say we, I don't mean you and me, Gary, because we can't do it, but I mean the people or, or whatever, do they have the power to start disenfranchising uh, the, the, these representatives? Because it's a very difficult thing because what might be ethical in one state might be unethical in another state. And uh, what might be ethical to one judge might be unethical to another judge. Right. We're going to break it down today on legal anatomy of current events. That's what we're here for. We want to give you the information. This is a nonpartisan show, non-biased show. We give you the information so you can make up your own mind. Now, I'm going to do something. Actually, I'm going to do two things today that I don't normally do. One's going to come at the end. You're going to have to stick around and and listen to it at the end. But the the other one I'm going to do right now. In, in radio and podcasting, there's an old saying that this is a teaser. I'm going to give you a teaser. You ready? Hang on to the words. Hang on to the words personal hospitality. Well, Gary, Brad, I don't want to. I mean, come on, just tell me right now. No, hang on to the words personal hospitality. And you're going to think about these United States Supreme Court justices. But Brad was right. It started with the 1978 Act, and he referenced a moment in time in history. And, Brad, that was the aftermath of Watergate. That was the aftermath of uh, President Nixon resigning, which uh, in some of our intros we cover, uh, and, and we, we do it for historical purposes uh, and entertainment purposes. But that was the aftermath of Richard Nixon, so they passed the Ethics in Government Act. But let's, let's just kind of give a breakdown of the categories of what that act covered. And obviously we don't have enough time on the show to go into detail on each, each one. But number one, numero uno in that act was financial disclosures. So anybody that was in public service, especially higher up, and it applied, Brad, to the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, and yes, it applies to the justices of the United States Supreme Court financial disclosure because now we're hearing some watchdog groups attack these justices, and the justices, one Clarence Thomas said, well, I was told early on I didn't have to disclose such, such things, and now I'm going to start I'm going to start doing that now that this has been brought up. Well, and you know, I, I do a couple of things there because uh, I remember uh, sitting in a political science class when Watergate was going on and uh, the pol- political science professor being some big wig, I forget where, I mean, with a great reputation. I think you just dated yourself, but go ahead. I, I know I dated myself, but I still remember sitting there in that political <laughs> All science All right, here, here we go. Let's and, rock and roll. And I remember one of the my fellow students who – was in, in a, a friend of mine, and I thought pretty sharp. Uh, he mentioned, and he made a statement in class 
that when 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 Watergate was first breaking, he said uh, this could lead to the impeachment of the president. And that political science professor went off on him. There's no way in the world you would be thinking about impeachment. They wouldn't even think about impeachment. Nothing's going to happen to our president. And it started going into whether it was ethical or not ethical and what might or might happen. But it didn't matter because his attitude was it didn't matter if the, if the president was not ethical with respect to political actions because, by gosh, you don't, you, you don't impeach anybody for that situation. Which led to, I am not a crook, which led to, tomorrow at noon I shall resign the presidency of the United States. As he was facing down the barrel of an impeachment. And, you know, of course that was a year later or two years later or whatever, and I can't tell you how often I wish we could go back to that professor's class and say, you owe this man an apology, (laughs) because he was right on. You know, how dare... We as a class or anybody else think there should be some kind of concern about the ethical or moral responsibility of the president with regard to these type of political matters. Yeah, but Brett, along those lines, what drove the bus in those days was the fact that that when Nixon said, I'm not going to resign, and and he was thinking nobody would ever do that, the Senate would never impeach me, and who showed up at his doorstep? John McCain, Senator John McCain, Arizona. And a group of senators, Republican senators, with the message that you are going to be impeached and you are going to be tried and convicted in the Senate. You've got to be impeached in the House, convicted in the Senate, and you're going to be, and that's when he decided to resign. Yes. But we digress a little. Well, yes, he did, because it was there, and it was something he was looking at for real. You go back, though, to those days, and you start saying, what in the world, prior to 1978, how did they determine ethics in government? And did what they pass, really, the Ethics and Government Act, does it really address the, the problems and address ethics? And we know, Gary, we know it doesn't address it. I'm not saying whether Clarence Thomas and Samuel Lito, I'm not saying whether they were ethical or unethical in some of the things they did, but we know that the Ethics and Government Act does not address some of those issues or at least doesn't extend to those people. And we're going to get to the part where it doesn't extend. Some of these laws don't, quote, apply to the United States Supreme Court justices. And why not? Well, look at it this way. I mean, you're the political science major before you became an attorney, but look at it this way, right? The Supreme Court is a co-equal branch of government. I mean, you don't think of it that way. You think you got the legislature and the president, but the Supreme Court, they're all on the same same level. So there, there is an argument, a legal argument in America, that you, Mr. and Mrs. Congress, you can't pass a law as a Supreme Court, because you have no jurisdiction over us. Okay, I've been waiting to spring You've been waiting years to have that one. The Ethics in Government Act is put together to to enforce ethics in the government on our our legislators, on our House of Representatives and our senators, and on our president. And it's been expanded from where it was, and it didn't have to be expanded a lot, but it's expanded to address family members. And some of them being spouses, some of them being uh, being people other than spouses or, or dependent children. Why can't the House of Representatives and the Senate and the President get together and say, we're going to put together ethics for our Supreme Court justices? Right. Why can't they do that? Exactly. And the- 
Because, you know, and I'm not saying whether they did or not, but you've got all sorts of people upset but that the, the last two appointed justices supposedly lied in their confirmation hearings, right. weren't truthful. What, what, why do we say that none of these things apply to the Supreme Court? Exactly. And we're going to get into that today because all of America is wondering what rules do apply to these justices. I mean, we hear about the travel, hear about the perks, we hear about the Alaskan fishing trip, we hear about private yacht cruises, we hear about private jet travel. Why don't the rules apply to them? And, and what are the rules? And so getting back to the Ethics and Government Act, so the, there was a financial disclosure, whole broad section on you got to make financial disclosures, right? Hang on to those words. What did I tell you those the teaser words were? What did I tell you? Personal hospitality. Hang on to those. Personal hospitality. Then, Brad, the next part of the Ethics uh, Government Act was restrictions on outside employment, right? But the big one was the financial disclosure. And then they created the Office of Government Ethics, which is an administrative um, uh, procedure where you can file, you can file complaints. And, Brad, also that, ad, uh, that act created the establishment of a special prosecutor. Special prosecutor. How did that come about? That came about from Richard Nixon and the Saturday night massacre firing of, of the Harvard um, law professor that was appointed the independent prosecutor. So, so now they had a special prosecutor, later renamed, they named it to the independent counsel provision. Which, Indi- not special prosecutor. We don't like the words special prosecutor. Which, which is just, uh, you know, putting lipstick on a you-know-what. You know, you're going, what, what, so what? You know, why are we changing the name? Special right. prosecutor, independent counsel, uh, trying to make it sound better to whom? Who are we trying to make it sound better to? Exactly. But certainly, once again, those people up in Congress, those people up there, they have to understand and know that this is a special prosecutor. We can call him independent counsel if we want, but he's a special prosecutor. Uh, or or what, what is the reason why we want to call him an, an independent counsel? Right. And it's got to be for the public. It's got to be for the public. Okay, so then the, basically the last part of this Ethics and Government Act talked about recusal, meaning where justices have to say, I can't, I'm disqualified, I can't hear this case or that case, or this case I'm not going to hear it. Now, up until 2022, you could get all those financial disclosures of the United States Supreme Court justices, but where and how? I mean, you're sitting your average Joe sitting at the cafe here in Denver. How do I get those disclosures? And it was hard to do. You could do it. It's supposed to be made public. But then in May 13, 2022, President Biden signed a new law that created an Internet database. Wow. Go figure that. An Internet, internet database where then you on the Internet you can get all these forms. And now here come the watchdog groups, which I think part of the group people would say that's great, fantastic, been waiting for it a long time. Part would say, what are they looking into all this stuff for? They're just, they're just um, you know, weaponizing the government. It doesn't matter. We're just giving you the facts, the, uh, the unbiased facts here. So that's, that's basically the Ethics Act. But, Brad, let's get into a little bit why, why don't some of these laws apply to United States Supreme Court justices. Well, if you want the short answer for me, I wish I knew why. Why? Why aren't they applying? You know, and and why don't they? Why don't they go so far? What What made justice so special? And I know we say it's the third branch of government, and because it's a third branch of government, we shouldn't have a situation where the 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 Senate or the presidency can take action against uh, a, a justice just because they don't like the way they voted or the way they wrote a decision. And we need independence in our judiciary. All those I agree with. I, I agree with them entirely. 
uh, and maybe it, it's it, it's too hard to prosecute people now. Maybe it's not hard enough to prosecute people right now. Maybe there's there's a problem with respect to uh, how a family member acts versus the person themselves. And you know, I'm not I'm not just thinking about Clarence Thomas and his wife. I'm thinking about uh, Joe Biden and his son. I'm thinking about uh, the the people who worked for for Trump. Maybe you know, how do we determine uh, when is being used as a weapon? Re- uh, and a sword rather than a shield. And what is it supposed to do? I thought that these laws were supposed to create, in essence, shields to, to identify how our elected officials and our non-elected officials, the Supreme Court, acted and that they met the requirements of being ethical. Okay, but let's make it clearer. Everybody, under the, under the Ethics and Government Act of 1978, the United States Supreme Court justices do have to fill out financial disclosures, and now you can get them on the Internet, number one. Number two, they passed the, the, the judicial canons of ethics. This is all lawyer talk. Lawyers have their own canons of ethics. That's why you see some of them disbarred or disciplined or not. And then judges have their own judicial canons of ethics. But you better be sitting down for this one. Are you sitting down? All right, because we're not to the teaser yet, but we're to a big one. So when they pass the judicial canons of ethics, ready? The judicial canons of ethics, they specifically exempted the United States Supreme Court justices. Right. Uh, But they're judges. So the federal judges under them have to comply. The state court judges have to comply. But the United States Supreme Court justices do not have to comply formally comply with the judicial canons of ethics as passed by them. So, and that's what I was going to say when you said they, they have to fill out financial disclosures. So what? They have to, uh, they, they have a canons of ethics. So what? Because that's what, that's what the Supreme Court can say. That's what those nine justices up there can say is, so what? Uh, nothing applies to us. And uh, I'm trying to remember, you know, Gary, you, you've got the memory that, uh, is better than an elephant, so so I, I'm trying to remember. Well, I'm done. we got that on the record. Right? Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if there's ever been a Supreme Court justice that's been um, that's been removed, uh, impeached. No, because you, you know there was there was a couple of them. One of them got close to Lyndon Johnson, and he had to resign. There was a lot of pressure put on him, but but never never removed. Um, and if I if I'm wrong, somebody corrects me. But I don't I don't think I'm wrong. Now it's said. You know, there's all kinds of United States senators these days saying um, there, have to, there has to be passed judicial code of ethics to the United States Supreme Court justices. Keep in mind, they have to comply with the Financial Disclosure Act, but keep in mind there's kind of a loophole. I'm giving you a hint. What's a loophole? Personal hospitality, right? We're, we're, we're going to get there. But Senator Chris Mur- Murphy from Connecticut in 2019 introduced a, introduced a bill which went nowhere. But now it's being reintroduced. Uh, you know, S- Senator uh, Sheldon Whitehead from um, from uh, Rhode Island. He wants to do it. So there's there's a movement. There's a, there's momentum to get this done. But the fascinating part is, Brad, they pass the, ju- the the judicial canons of ethics, and they don't have they don't have to comply. I, I just want to read you a couple of them here. See how, see how this fits for you. Do you think a United States Supreme Court justice should be mandated to follow the following? One canon. Canon number one. A judge should uphold the integrity and independence of the judiciary. Well, I, I, well, thought, I thought that was from the very beginning. I thought that was from, that was from the get-go, but they, no, they don't have to mandatorily follow that. And, and I don't mean to 
That's all right. I want to get back to that in a second. All right, let's go. But I just wanted to throw in uh, what I can see is um, Justice, Associate Justice Samuel Chase in 1805. I thought it was around a a situation back in the 1800s. In 1805, uh, um, the House of Representatives passed articles of impeachment against him. However, he was acquitted in the Senate, and therefore there's never been one. So he's never been removed. Never been one removed. You were right. Okay, so what were you just saying? Well, then, okay, so canon number two for the judges. Would you agree with this? It says, a judge should avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all activities. Would you kind of agree with that? Raise your hand. Unless you're driving, don't raise your hand. Okay, but they don't have to comply with that. You know, okay, that, that really confuses me. Because you should be confused. Yeah, I am confused because what do you mean they don't have to appear? They don't have to comply with that. You know, we say they don't have to comply with that. We we we, we say it's okay if our Supreme Court justices don't show an appearance of impropriety. I don't know if we're saying it's okay, but but here's the history. You want the facts? The code of conduct for the ju- United States judges was passed by the Judicial Conference in 1973, and it came up with these canons of ethics, and basically there's five of them. But it said, the code of conduct does not formally apply to justices of the Supreme Court. Bingo. Now, they say, well, we're going to follow them anyway. But they don't have to formally comply, which is this whole movement now, whether you like it or not, whatever side you're on, in Congress, right? Senator, Senator Whitehead and, and, and Chris Murphy and, and other senators wanting to get this, these rules passed and, and get a code of ethics. And why? Because they want some kind of guidelines, some kind of control. All right, so what have we learned so far? Justices of the Supreme Court have to make financial disclosures. They have to. They have to make them on gifts, travel, perks. But there's an exemption. There's an exemption. And we're going to talk about that exemption because it deals with personal hospitality. Right. Uh, that, that's, that's going to be very interesting to me, too. As I read these, I can see how if you have people who want to follow the law and follow the the appropriate ways in which to be a judge and that, that all these rules work. But if you have people who want to step outside the boundaries of them, it makes me very, very concerned that they can step outside the boundaries without any concern for any kind of problems. Right. It's just not there. Okay, so let's go back to the 1978 ethics statute, okay? It says... The judges are ready. Here we go. Now we're, now we're up to the current day. Judges have to report annually all gifts above a certain amount, but all gifts from, received from anybody except a relative. They have to report all gifts except they don't have to report food, lodging, or entertainment received as personal hospitality. And so there is where Clarence Thomas hung his hat on that little nail. Well, I might have received these from Harlan Crow. I might have. I did. Maybe 20 years plus. But I received them as personal hospitality. And since I received them as personal hospitality, I don't have and didn't have to report them. So what's the big deal about reporting them? Well, I guess the big deal now is uh, Justice Thomas said, well, when I first came on the bench, I think he came in 2001, uh, uh, after the Nita Hill situation at the University of Oklahoma, uh, he says, I was told I didn't really have to report these, so I haven't been reporting them, and that's why for whatever all these years, 20 years, I haven't reported them. 
But now, oh, I see for personal hospitality, there is a, an exemption. So, so now the personal hospitality has gone and been expanded. And now we're, now we're basically going from the honor system to something else. You know, I don't know where you go with the honor system, but we're going to something else. So they've expanded the definition of personal hospitality, and it has to be for a non-business purpose, and it has to be on somebody's individual, an individual's private property, an individual's uh, presentation. So you can't go to a corporate headquarters. You can't go on a corporate jet, that sort of thing. So they, that's the loophole that was used by Clarence Thomas personal hospitality, and I told you we would come back to it, and we did. So, you know, we're talking about these United States Supreme Court justices and what controls them. Brad, I want you to comment on this a minute. The interesting part to me, we've covered these questions today, but the interesting part to me, of course, there's a movement to establish ethical guidelines for the Supreme Court justices because their ratings are low, and everybody is in an uprise over over these things, and now there's all these watchdog groups, etc. But, Every one of these justices, it keeps, I keep thinking about this at night. Every one of these justices are attorneys. And we all know that when you get your, your license to practice law, you're bound by ethical rules and guidelines. And there's ethical rules and guidelines for attorneys. And as we said, there's judicial uh, code of conduct. But just because they're sitting on the United States Supreme Court does not mean they're no longer an attorney. Well, they are attorney. They just became transformed into a judge. Well, but they all come from different states. They have a license in state X and a license in state Y and a license in state Z, right? Well, the, the problem you get, as far as I can see, is that when they become judges, who's going to sit in judgment of them? And if we don't sit in judgment of them, how do we say or how do we come up with uh, any kind of uh, enforcement power to say they need to, uh, if they need to do anything uh, or they need to be subject to any kind of rule? I mean, they make their own rules. Basically, it's the honor system. But it just feeds into the last point we're going to make today's podcast. It just feeds right into that, okay? They, they make their own rules. There's really nothing controlling them. But what's the enforcement mechanism if they don't make the right financial disclosure? You would think in this day and age, the enforcement mechanism would be a crime. And you would be wrong. There is no enforcement mechanism making it a crime to misrepresent a financial disclosure by a justice of the United States Supreme Court. The only remedy is a civil remedy to sue them. And then you have the whole concept of judicial immunity, which we're not even going to get in today, but we do, and all you legal beagles know that. And so that's kind of the, kind of the last point we're going to make. Brad, anything on the wrap-up on this fascinating subject of the United States Supreme Court justices? Well, I, I, I go back to... The situation. Go to 1805 again, are you? Uh, I'm going to try and stay away from oh, 1805. All right, all right. I, I'm going to go back to the, the situation that we face in our government right now and we, that we face with everything is we're, we're very quick to pull the trigger on saying something's not ethical, something's not appropriate. Uh, I'm not certain how our Supreme Court justices lived uh, back in the 1800s. Uh, I, I doubt that we could say that not one of them ever accepted a gift or didn't, didn't get something while they were also addressing an issue that might have been affected in, in, in a case that was going on. Uh, I, don't, you know, I, I find it interesting that we now figure we have to do rules for everything that's done because nobody seems to understand what honor is or what ethics is or how they're supposed to act. Um, and I can understand that because I get into court quite often. We all get into court as lawyers that do trial work. 
And guess what we face? We face questions of who's right and who's wrong in a particular matter or with regard to a particular issue. And uh, the, the people have different views of what's right and wrong, and they have different views of what's moral and not moral or ethical or not ethical. And so now instead of having our shades of gray, we have to have a, a black and white letter of the law. Right. But, you know, thinking about it practically, some people in this country would want to know, would really want to know if justices bought stock, if they own certain real estate, if somebody gave them a benefit or a perk, I mean, they'd want to know that. And we haven't even touched on what's called the Stock Act, S-T-O-C-K, just like stock market, Stock Act, right? And that, talk, that talked about uh, you basically stop trading on Congress's knowledge. Stock is the acronym for stop trading on Congress's knowledge. And that was passed into law, so you can't just take inside information. And you and I did a show on inside, insider trading. We did here a couple, three weeks ago. And but we, they, they, can't just do a, they can't just trade on insider information, people in Congress, but up until then, they could. And we never dealt with it that last show. We never dealt with it with respect to Congress or with respect to judges. But that's exactly right. I mean, we, we even went back on the copyright in the First Amendment and talked about certain cases that the Supreme Court was going to uh, decide. Now, you know, did, has anybody ever worried or does anybody ever worry that our Supreme Court justices are going to start get buying or selling stock in a particular company based on an opinion they're about to give? Well, 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 think about it. You would like to know that. I mean, so there's the stock transaction, but that talks about that talks about Congress. But the federal disclosure requirements are becoming a little bit more uh, a little bit more strict and a little bit more enforceable, and they do have to comply with those. But they have to re- report uh, property ownership. But the problem with those re- report those things right now is they they report in ranges. The Supreme Court justices report in ranges. I mean, if you ever looked at um, the Chief Justice John Roberts, I think, I think he discloses net worth 10 to $20 million, okay? And if you look at Justice Brett Kavanaugh, I think it's like fifteen to $65,000, something like that. But so you, you would want to know that. And I'm making this up, and this next example I'm making up, but if a Supreme Court justice has invested in company XYZ and he or she is going to listen to a case on XYZ coming up and that's not disclosed, you can make up your own mind whether that's right or wrong. Well, and let, let's take just what you brought up, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, he, he reported, what did you think it was? I, th- I think it was fifteen to $65,000. All right. And he's lives in on, a modest house. And he's been on the bench for what, a, a year, two years? A couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if 10 years later, 10 years from now, he reports that he's worth $65 million, he's got, his net worth has gone from 65000 to $65 million. don't you think there will be some questions that ought to be asked and that we'd be entitled to ask. Exactly. Yeah, and I think they're clamping down more on the Financial Disclosures Act. Uh, there are watchdog groups out there, as we've said. Uh, okay, you're listening to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with my law partner, Brad Pollack. We're out of Denver, Colorado. We love doing this show for you every week. We love taking current events and breaking it down for you, giving you the complete legal analysis in a non-partisan, non-biased format so you can make up your own mind on the legal issues and the most current pressing legal issues in our country. You can contact us, contact us at any time at legalanatomy.net if you want to send us an email at legalanatomy.net. And as usual, we're going to close out the show with an American idiom. Brad does the American idiom every week. And I do the stock. The stock. I do the quote of the day. Uh, but I got a little twist. I told you I had two things I don't usually do. So when I get to my part, we're going to, uh, maybe we're going to sing a little song. I don't know. Brad, what do you got for an American idiom? Well, 
I, I had a lot of trouble with this one, okay? I, I, had, I had a lot of trou- trouble with this one um, uh, because I, I felt that there's a lot of idioms that could apply and some of the don't apply. Um, as we were sitting here, our board op handed me a thing of the Canadian battle honor system. I've tried to look on it up real quick. It says uh, uh, feel honor bound to do something. It's uh, you feel obligated to do something because it is mor- morally correct or required by one's sense of duty or integrity, even if one does not desire to do so. And uh, you know it, the, the, that that's a, a more serious than I usually do. Um, I was going to talk about doing things behind someone's back. Um, been, well, you, you can do two idioms. So, it's okay. So, Go ahead. So you got one side where you're doing things behind mm-hmm. someone's back, which is not honor at all, and you have the other one where you feel honor bound to do something. You do it because you have a sense of duty or integrity, um, and so uh, you're either honor bound or you're doing it behind their back. I think that's those are pretty good. Nice job. All right, Mike. My, my, I usually do a quote of the day, but I'm kind of kind of going to take a do a takeoff of a country song. It's and the singer is Cody Johnson. Don't sing it for us. No, I'm not going to sing it. Thank no, we're not singing today. Nobody let me sing. Cody Johnson's a singer. Uh, great song, incredible song. And I don't know who the writer is, but whoever wrote this song is brilliant. And if it's you, Cody, you're brilliant. And if it's somebody else, they're brilliant. And you sing it really, really well. And I kind of, kind of took off on it, but it's it's so true. You know, you think, well, I I can do this. I can do this tomorrow. I'll do it next Friday. And so the whole country song is, you know what? You can call your father this today and ask him to go fishing on Friday till you can't. And you can call your sister and ask her to go to a movie till you can't. I, I think that's the name of the song. That's the name, song, till you, till you can't. And you can, put a, you can put a ring on her finger today, and you can put it off till tomorrow, or you can put it off till you can't, you know? And so that, that's the way it is, but, but it just it's a takeoff on, I'll always do it tomorrow. I'll do it next Friday, and you can do it next Friday till you can't. So that's going to be my quote of the day, and I think it's a powerful country song, and I thank Cody Johnson for singing it. Bell and Pollock, we love doing Legal Anatomy for you. Every week, we're here for you on a different current event in our country. See you next week.